Well, good evening, good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you're at. Uh, this is the Phantom Correspondence doing Phantom, doing Phantom Flashback, a, a new series. I'm sorry about the laugh. Uh, we turned on the camera, and that's a horrific idea uh, because now <laughs> Al is Al is doing just. Dances. There's no telling what horror Al will be doing in front of me when I'm trying to have an actual discussion on here. Uh, but yeah, this is a whole new, uh, whole new thing we're doing for Phantom Correspondence. Uh, <laughs> where, okay, you guys got to stop. <laughs> this whole new thing we're doing for Phantom Correspondence, where we're going to try and take things that uh, each of us love, but that might have been kind of forgotten or put to the wayside. Uh, tonight, uh, our movie is a movie that I know for a fact the three hardesties love it. I'm not totally sure on Al's opinion on it. I'll be intrigued to get Al's opinion on it. Uh, but uh, the movie, the movie is Elizabeth Town, uh, kind of a kind of a forgotten Cameron Crowe movie. Uh, Cameron Crowe's kind of been forgotten. Uh, he's almost uh, uh, he's almost been like canceled actually after Aloha and all the mishap on that, which we'll get into. Um, but I do want to, before we get into everything, before we talk about Elizabeth Town, I do want to plug some stuff we've got going on. We have been away for a while. We're coming to be away for a while, a little bit uh, after this too. Uh, but we've got a lot of good stuff coming out. We've got a podcast on the eighth generation of video games, which should be really interesting. Uh, we've got October's coming up, which is going to give us a lot of, uh, we're, we're expanding on Al's highly successful horror fest and we're all piggybacking on that. The second annual horror fest. The second annual horror fest. So we're all piggybacking on Phantom Correspondence our fest this year that Al came up with and we're just kind of like holding on to his cape as he flies into the stratosphere with it. Uh, so we've got that coming up. We've also got some, uh, we'll be doing some streaming uh, up on the on the website right now. We've, you've got Jake's Avengers uh, review. You've also been getting uh, weekly uh, just meanderings uh, from Al as well. Uh, like I said, we've got some streaming stuff coming up. So just keep looking, keep you know following the Phantom Correspondence. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming out. Um, so yeah, with that in mind, Elizabeth Town. Elizabeth Town's an interesting, uh, interesting movie. This was kind of Jenny's, uh, uh, Jenny's uh, concept here. I guess I should introduce everybody that's here. I've got uh, Jacob the IC with me. How's it going, guys? I've got Al Red Lanyard with me. Hello, hello. And I've got uh, Jenny slash Raven. Hi. And then of course you've got uh, me, uh, Josh the Wild. And uh, as we we get into this movie, um, Elizabeth Town, uh, this was an interesting movie to start with because I don't know other than me and Jenny and Jake, I don't know anybody that has extreme opinions of this movie. Like it's almost a movie that like I think people are like it exists, but like no one that no one like hates this movie or no one really loves it. So like first let's start here. Like what was everyone's overall thoughts on the movie? Okay, Jake, I'll start with you. Uh, I, I love the movie. I, I really do. Um, you know, it's even even rewatching it. I I remember the first time I watched it. I watched it roughly like 15 minutes after it starts. So I started it around the time he gets to Elizabeth Town. The, fir the first time I ever watched it. So I had no idea where like Drew's mindset was or anything like that. Because if you miss the first like 15 minutes, it's you you miss a you miss a good portion of really the the entire theme of you know overcoming failures and everything um, and really kind of finding your purpose. Um, so so that was always kind of weird to to watch it like that. And then sitting down recently and watching it with, with you guys, I, I just I found so much more to love about it. 
Um, and I'm assuming we'll get more into different aspects of that later. So yeah, just I loved it. Absolutely. You got it? Um, yeah, no, it's it's in my top ten favorite movies. So I've always been a huge fan of it. Um, I think the concept's extremely original, and um, I think it's very well done. So. Okay, Al, what do you think, man? Uh, yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. I had not seen it um, in several years, and I was really glad I rewatched it because I kind of had, I kind of had the recollection that I hadn't. I had had an issue with it the last time I watched it, but upon rewatching it here just a couple of weeks ago, um, I realized that the issue I thought I had was handled way better in the movie than I recalled. But um, yeah, I'm very happy I rewatched it. Um, it's really good. It's one. It's one of my favorite rom coms. It's probably my favorite rom com I've had to come down to it. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm into it. Love it. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I uh, I. I... I love the movie, but I'm a fan. Uh, I'm a fan of Cameron Crowe. I'm like, and I, did we see this in the theaters? Mm. Okay, because I remember. Wait, but you didn't go. I, I didn't. I didn't see it in theaters. No, it wasn't really his jam back then. Well, yeah. You were 11. When yeah, I, I, was, I was young. So yeah, I just remember. So I, I remember coming out of some movie and seeing the big billboard of it. You know, without all the different pictures. Uh, here's the thing. I can remember a movie. I guarantee you can. What was the movie? Uh, it was Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So, anyway, <laughs> coming out of Star Wars Episode the Three: Revenge of The poster's iconic. Yeah, the poster's iconic. Mm-hmm. Uh, had all the different pictures of people around it. Um, and I had no clue it was coming out. I was like, oh, there's an Elizabeth Town movie. And then I saw it directed by Cameron Crowe, and I got really excited because the, I, Al, you might not know this. Jenny and Jake definitely know this. Uh, but probably, I, I've switched back to what my favorite movie of all time is, but Almost Famous is always in the conversation. Mm. Uh, Almost Famous is one of my favorite movies ever. I think it's a near-perfect movie. Um, and so he hadn't really done anything since Vanilla Sky. In fact, that's one thing that I think we need to talk about here is, like, with Cameron Crowe movies, you get this really weird timeline, starting with Say Anything, which is his first, that's his directorial debut, and then you get Singles, then you get Jerry Maguire, then Almost Famous, Vanilla Sky, and then this movie, which is a weird stretch of movies. And like, and they're all about, with the exception of Almost Famous Vanilla Sky, they're all stretched out about four years apart. And one of the things I find interesting about Cameron Crowe is that he's not uh, directing isn't really his day job. So like, when he wants to direct something, it's always something he feels uh, some type of connection to, which is why I kind of want to watch Aloha to try and figure out like what in the heck was going on there, because... Mm-hmm. Between, because after this movie, he doesn't do another movie till we bought a zoo in 2011, you know. And so, like, um, I I think this movie here um, is probably the the total reckoning of how you view Cameron Crowe as a director, because this is as far as you can take a movie on just a a feeling, in my opinion, because this whole entire movie is based on this feeling of you know reconnecting with your roots. And going back to this place where you're an outsider, but not really, and like that feeling has expanded almost to to its breaking point in this movie, um, which is the same thing he does with Almost Famous and also Jerry Maguire as well. Um, so I, I think I think that's interesting to to look at with Cameron Crowe. I do want to point out some background stuff that I did find out. Okay, and I want to see what your opinions on these are. Okay, first and foremost, something I had no clue: Ashton Kutcher was almost cast as Drew. Baylor, which is Orlando Bloom's role, mm-hmm. okay? 
And he actually did scenes they shot with him, and he had no chemistry with Kirsten Dunst whatsoever, so they fired him before. Did y'all know that? I did, I did not. not know that. What do you think? The movie, that. Like, this movie would have been way different with Ashton Kutcher, I think. Yeah. No, it's, I don't think anybody else can play this role. I don't... I know I'm biased, but, yeah. you know, I, I really don't think anybody else could have done that. It is, it is a weird... There, there's a... Well, and then, okay, and there's another... Okay, so, like, this is another thing happened. So, here's something else happened. An urban movie that I think the hardest seats like that no one or like that, that no one else talks about. But Kirsten Dunst dropped out of the village to do this movie. Did y'all know that? I did. I did it. Okay. So Kirsten dropped so like she was supposed to have so she was Bryce Howard character. And she was supposed to have that character. She dropped out of the village to do this movie. Which is just a weird like I can't even see her in that I was role. Say, another role that I don't think no, that, like, that I think that, I think we got the best options out of everything. That was divine intervention. Which brings like. me which brings me to this. Before Kirsten Dunst dropped out, a young Scarlett Johansson was considered for, for uh, Claire's role. And this is Scarlett Johansson coming off of uh, Lost in Translation, so it's like the the height of her as the indie darling before she became yeah. sex on Scarlett Johansson. I so, would have uh, seen that working, I think. Yeah, it was uh, about out, say, yeah. out of those three out of those three alternate timelines we could have gotten, I think that last one is the more, is the one I can s- see happening the most. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, uh, I think Kirsten Dunst is perfectly fine in this role. Uh, I think Kirsten Dunst is really good in these kind of, um, well, in the Manic Pixie Dream Girl role, which we're going to talk about in a second as well. But I think, um, I, I think she's fine in it. Um, but I, it, I, when, uh, when I read about Scarlett Johansson, I was like, that'd be interesting, too, because she she brings a whole different kind of, I don't know, almost tenor to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, the movie would probably have a little bit more, uh, it'd be more popular, I think, overall. Maybe. I don't know. See, in 2004, who's more popular? Kirsten Dunst. I think Kirsten Dunst is more popular than Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got two Spiders. Yeah, that's fair. You got two Spider-Mans, you got Bring It On. Scarlett Hansen's interesting because her 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 roles are the what was the what was the movie where they're gonna steal you know what I'm talking about, we're gonna steal the SAT scores. Uh, the per, perfect, perfect score. score. Okay, so you got, before that is Home Alone Three. I don't want to talk about Home Alone Three. <laughs> like, but you've got because that doesn't count. But like Perfect Score, which is the movie she chose to be in. Oh, okay. And gotcha. then you've got Girl with Pearl Earring, you got Lost in Translation to this, I think it would be interesting. Uh, but I, Kirsten Dunst at the time, I mean, is bringing on Spider-Man, Spider-Man Two, you know, Small Soldiers, Small Soldiers. Uh, what what is with you today? I, like, okay, all right, you're just okay. Anyway, um, also got to point out. Uh, also got to point out uh, something else. Uh, this is Paula Deen's uh, first uh, role in a movie. Uh, I think that's important. Uh, I don't know why it's important, but that's, I think that's really important. I think Paula Deen is fantastic in this movie. I did find out actually because I when we, re- when we rewatched, I said I wonder if Paula Deen just if they just said like you know if they even gave her a script and Cameron Crowe came out and said like we didn't really even direct Paula Deen on what to do. We just said talk about photos in here. So like in that scene when they're talking about photos, all of that is just her. And I think you know Paula Deen's another person that's t- 2020 hasn't looked favorably on, but I think she's really good at what she does in this movie. Awesome. And then one more thing I got to point out, uh, 
because it's one of my favorite bands on the entire world. My Morning Jacket is the band that's playing uh, Freebird at the end. Uh, so, you know, that's another Kentucky connection. Uh, and uh, that's, that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of important to me if it's not important to you. Um, so, yeah, but it, so there's all that stuff that's interesting uh, to talk about. Um, I do want to bring up something that happened with this film. And uh, it's, it's interesting that this is the first one we did because this film has more of a, an effect on the culture outside of the film than the film itself. Because Nicholas Raven, after watching this film, Nicholas Raven, famous writer for the AV Club, after writing this film, he came up with the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl, which is a term that now gets thrown around all the time. Uh, everybody's heard the term, right? Yeah. Al, you know the term? Yep. Okay. So it's a basic term that's basically like, uh, um, you know, he used this movie and he used Garden State's Nally Portman, where it's basically like a quirky girl shows up and changes some stodgy man's life, okay? Which, in fairness, you know, that's, that's basically what happens in this movie. But, um, you know, he, uh, he, he really brings to, um, I think he's a little hard on them. Uh, at one point he says, uh, with Kirsten Dunst, uh, he says, the Mad Kissy Dream Girl will give you one of two reactions. I'm paraphrasing here. It says either A, you'll want to marry her, or B, you'll want to go and uh, pummel her and all of her nearest of kin. Uh, this is something that you could say in 2005 um, that you can't really say in 2020. I, I, 2005 I, was a different time, ladies you, and gentlemen. You could, whole, but you shouldn't. A whole different time. Everyone just like that. Yeah. So there's, the whole. There's all kinds of things you could have done, but that doesn't mean you should have. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But you could say that. Um, what's interesting, Nathan Raymond has come out and he's, uh, he's disregarded that entire thought process of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. He says uh, he's sorry that he foisted it upon because everybody uses it now uh so like to the point where like you Very know inaccurately. Um, yeah i mean there were people called wonder woman manic pixie dream girl which is ridiculous <laughs> so like that's weird um but wrong. but but anyway i do want to like this is a good transition though when we look at the character of claire okay and so we're going to talk about our, our our stars here when we look at the character of claire um what do we think of like claire's role in this movie you know obviously so we could talk about Kirsten Dunst's acting, but like, you know, this this was a character that inspired, you know, something that, uh, you know, that has just been like denigrated to the point. I mean, this and Mary Sue are the two are the two things that if you don't like a woman in a movie, you call them that. Uh, so, so what do we think of the role of Claire? I mean, is Claire like, is she too out there, or is like, does she need to tone it down? We think. Al, we'll start with you. Does she need to tone it down? <laughs> that's well, great. Let me that's right. great. Because <laughs> Kirsten Dunst, as Kirsten Dunst is acting, uh, that's what I'm saying. Because it, it adds to it. So, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Okay, every time I watch this movie, I hate the way Kirsten Dunst says "substitute people" in this movie. Do you know? I mean, do you, do, you, do you know what I'm talking it's about? Exactly. That that exactly right there. Okay, <laughs> he says it that way. Three times, okay? Every when she brings it up, when she brings it up again, and then, like, when she says it the last time, when she's walking away, you know, from the hotel. That's the most prominent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're the substitute people. And I'm just like, 
who gave her that directive? Like, what are we, some kind of substitute? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So that's what I'm talking about when I say tone it down. Okay. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk. Okay. But like, there's some like acting choices here that are very deliberate. That once again in 2005 don't look as bad as they do now. So, Al, talk about that for a bit. Yeah, I, I guess I will. Uh, so, oh uh, yeah. So, I like Claire's character a lot. Um, I just, I just do. I find the character very fun and and charming. She's easily the most. She, she she's the most charming part, in my opinion, of Elizabeth Town. Um, I think Kirsten Dunst, despite her her weird <laughs> pronunciation of of substitute people. Um, I think she does. I think she does a really good job. One thing that really stuck out to me when I was rewatching it was, um, and you talk, I mean, talked about it really briefly when you said Ashton Kutcher uh, was almost cast as a male lead in this is um, the chemistry between Kirsten Dunst and Orlando Bloom is really, really strong. And, um, and like <laughs> that really struck me as like a very impressive part of the film, because when you first <laughs> said that, my immediate thought was, "Well, Ashton Kutcher, sh- I didn't feel bad. He's not the first actor to not have chemistry with Kirsten Dunst," <laughs> which is just yeah. But um, but no, I'm really impressed by their chemistry throughout the film. I think um, I think if their chemistry, if the chemistry between Drew and Claire was like just a point less than what it is. Um, I don't think Elizabeth town would work at all. That's just how important uh, the connection between those two characters is. Um, yeah. I really enjoy, <laughs> I really enjoy Claire. Um, some of the criticisms I've heard about her character in the movie is that she's just like over the top. Perfect and stuff. And like, and like, I think, <laughs> and like, I think, like, I see where that criticism is coming from, kind of, because like, on the one hand, like, yeah, she's, she is like, she's an like, pixie dream girl or whatever. She's very energetic and she catches his attention and she does all these things to help, like, encourage him and, and breathe some life into his um, his character or whatever. Um, but, um, I think one, um, I think that that characterization is okay because like, again, we're watching the very early part of of their relationship begin to unfold and who among us does not try to go out of their way to be like a perfect version of themselves when they first, interact with the person they're interested in <laughs> in the first place. I know I've done that. Um, and two, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the point of the film <laughs> in my opinion, is that he needs that kind of, uh, that kind of injection into his life. Um, I'm in order to, to meet any kind of positive resolution for his character. Um, the kind of starts to get into, what I recalled was a flaw from the last time I watched it compared to how I see they handled it a lot better uh, with this uh, most recent rewatch. But, um, 
I will say that a criticism, the main criticism I've heard about Claire is that she swoops in and fixes everything wrong with Drew's life. And I don't think that's a fair opinion to have. And I'll get into those specifics of why I think that a little bit later on, because I feel like it'll come up um, a bit more organically. But uh, yeah, I'll let y'all just um, discuss this a bit more um, on the character side. Yeah, I definitely want. I mean, I think Drew. We have to discuss quite a bit, but uh, and I think that'll come up better then. Um, but um, yeah, Kenny, what do you what do you think of Claire? I mean, you know, this is one of your favorite movies, you know, and like, I'm not trying to do this, but typically you don't like women in movies. Well, I was about to say I'm typically overly critical of how women are portrayed, yeah, and how the characters are in movies, but. I it's weird. I actually really liked the way she was. Like even the substitute people thing. I think it's because I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. How how is it said? The substitute people. <laughs> I guess we all have the same. <laughs> Thank thing, right? you. Yes. Um, no, I just feel like I personally have met so many people that are over top like that. It didn't bother me. I didn't feel like her acting was overtly like I don't know. Maybe it's just because of the industries I've been in. But, like, she was no different as far as that, you know, accent or anything is concerned. I felt like that was pretty. But anyway, aside from that, um, I don't know. I really like the, she offers Drew such a different perspective on life just in general. There's just so many things he doesn't, like, he's almost, like, looking at her in a lot of ways, like, with kind of, like, wonder. Because he's just, like wrapped himself up in like a corporation for so many years and like Claire's just like this ultimate optimist for the most part um and uh I just feel like the you know it's just a great offset I don't know I just I love her character a lot so no I don't think it's over top I thought she was perfect yeah I uh, uh I don't really have any issue other than her pronunciation of some words <laughs> Uh, with I, I don't like the term manic pixie dream girl because I think it's an overtly sexist term. We 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 have no terms like that for men. So like so like what I mean like what was Stifler being American Pie? Like I mean we don't have a term for Stifler in American Pie, but we've got manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, but I mean he's not I know, though. I like I mean like, like even, I'm saying, even the terms you have for men like that aren't necessarily offensive. Yeah, so I just yeah I, uh, yeah I kind of agree with you on that. I I've, I kind of found her pretty pretty grounded uh, even for as over time right, as yeah, she down is. The earth and yeah, yeah. Jake, yeah. what do you think? Um, I mean, that's basically it's kind of piggybacking off of what you guys have said, and I, I love Claire. Um, you know, it's it, it is kind of interesting, uh, and like I said, really kind of walking it, <laughs> walking it all, all in one, this one sitting. Um, you know that. Everything that everything that she brings to the storyline at that point is entirely different from everything else that he has gotten, and you know, and that's and obviously that's very that's that's very intentional um, because really she's the first person she's the first person that kind of shows him you know like the the genuine love that he kind of needs in comparison to everyone else who had really just kind of beaten him down. You know, I mean, I, I know obviously his mom and his sister have not, you know, at that point beaten him down, but you know, in comparison to like everyone who has been at that one who has been at work with him, um, 
Alec Baldwin's cameo, definitely, although I do love Alec Baldwin's cameo. Um, you know, and then, and it's kind of like, I think you, you, you said it best, Kenny, when you said, you know, the childlike wonder that he's kind of looking at her with, you know, it's, it's, he has literally never, he, if he has ever seen anything like this, he has forgotten it completely. Um, you know, and I, and I think viewing it a lot more as his redemption, you know, like th- throughout the film and like his kind of like coming to really kind of finding what he wants to do with his life. Um, Claire is the perfect person for that. Um, you know, and apparently some can even apparently make the argument too perfect, but I, I don't, I don't know. I, I I've, n- I've never cared if, if I've never cared if there was one character that was just good for the sake of good and did the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. Um, you know, so I, that's not, yeah. Yeah. I don't well, think, uh, yeah. I, I think a lot of this, uh, comes from, this like over analytical thing we do where we try to make every movie into Requiem for a Dream or something. And it's like, so that just doesn't work. You know, like you don't have to have, you know, every character be this, you know, like just, you know, flawed and human and, you know, and everything like that. You know, you just, you just really don't need that, particularly with, with this movie. Uh, I do, so like another, so here's another timeline for you. The original script of this movie, okay, doesn't have a love story. Claire is Ben's sister in the original script, and they go back to a little bit of time together. They get the ashes together. Uh, they go on the road trip together, all that stuff. Um, and so the, the, the role of the, of the movie then is like this uh, memorandum on, I guess, death and moving on, that kind of thing. We all think, like, uh, how, how, what, what would that have done to the movie, you think? I mean, obviously we changed it quite a bit, but is that a good change or a bad change? What do you think? We'll start with Jake on this one. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think of even from, even from the idea of, you know, how Cameron, how, how Crow has written, you know, siblings in other films, even, I mean, uh, is it, is it Hedy Greer is playing the sister in this mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Even if, you know, she and Drew have a close connection, you know, you know, you don't, see her as much um in this one but you you can't tell if there's a connection there of course uh zoe Deschanel is wonderful and almost famous you know um and you can definitely tell that there is you know a connection between those two characters so i think don't we about bonnie and uh bonnie hunt and renee Zoe. oh yes excuse me yes yes what was it was the yeah. yeah yeah um and Jeremy mcguire yeah um and of course in john cusack's uh uh, who's John Cusack's uh, sister? Is in uh, Say Anything, right? Yes, but is 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 he actually playing this? I can't. I haven't seen that movie in D. No, you can carry on, carry on. That, that's yeah, okay. well, we, we need to watch Say Anything again. We, we do. Yeah, that's, that's, that's another great one. That's yeah. yeah. Um, but we love strong siblings. We, we do, you know, and that's I mean, obviously, you know, that's I, no, that wasn't a critique. I don't think. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. Um, and so, and so, I think that if there was if there was any director that was going to trust to tell that kind of story organically, um, and even not, not even getting you know, yeah, getting, getting a bit personal, you know, for those of you who don't know, we have lost a parent, um, and seeing the story kind of told from that perspective of of grief and kind of coming to terms with that, and and the connection to a family or to your roots. 
you know, all of that in, in one film. I, I think Crow is definitely the, the director that I would probably trust the most on that if they were going to go that route. Um, do I think it would have made it a better film? I think it would have made it just as good. I, I think I, I think I think either way would have, would have been a good film. But I do. I'm more so intrigued to see. I I, I would like to look at that, see how the script uh, portrays the the road trip and, and like how like the ending and everything because they the ending is obviously does not work in my opinion and and the last like 20 minutes would have an entirely different style to them. That's what I was uh, exactly about to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well so because, because, like, you know, it obviously the movie does talk about grief and failure and everything, but without, like, the love story, you don't really talk about the, like, you know, obviously from love comes literally life, you mm-hmm. know? So I feel like that's the whole, like, that's the other side of, you know, or you hope that's the other side of grief. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like if you don't talk about that, it's just not as, it's probably still a good movie, but it's just not quite as, you know, hopeful, I feel like. Mm. And that's not to say that you can't find, you know, happiness, you know, without that. I'm just saying, like, you know, from love springs life. And I feel like that was, you know, the whole point of the last 20 minutes of the movie, mm. in my opinion. Al, what do you think? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, um, I hadn't heard that about the original version of the script. Um, yeah, I'm kind of with uh, both... Um, Jake and Virginia on this. Um, I uh, think... I think we're, you were cutting in and out. No, I just had them there. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, are you able to hear me now? Uh, yes. Can you uh, hear me? Yeah, yes, go ahead. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, so I'm kind of with Jacob and Jenny on, like, I think that the majority of the movie would be almost as, if not just as effective if it had been a sibling story. Um, however, I really do think with the exception of the road trip, because I really think the conclusion of Drew's um, character arc um, really hinges on the road trip scenes um, just being him in the car with the ashes yeah. of his father. I think that... It, that Drew's character would not be anywhere nearly as satisfying of a journey if it's not just him in the road trip. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, same. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree. I, I do think it would be interesting because um, if if there's if there's an issue with this movie, okay, um, is that there is there is a critique maybe that Cameron. Crow is juggling a little too too many things here, um, because if if you have the movie set up, Claire is an interpolation, which isn't a bad thing, but she's an interruption to everything that's happening in Drew's life, and so you've got these two you've got these two story arcs that are flowing at the same time, where you've got Drew and Claire and Drew dealing with grief, and I just I, I would be intrigued to see how Cameron Crow would have done just the dealing with grief without the, I, I understand you need that, you know, heartfelt moment where, you know, you see the girl in the red hat thing. I get that. Okay. But like, if you take that away, if you take the romantic part of the, out of the romantic comedy here, I kind of wonder what that would have looked like because I wonder if you would have gotten something similar to what happens at the end of Almost Famous where 
you know, I mean, there's a love story in Almost Famous, but it's not, the ending is not based around that at all. Um, and and I would actually say the ending of, I mean, Say Anything has a love story, but the ending of that's about way more than that. This ending is so focused on the love story that I'm not totally sure it doesn't distract some from that road trip because the road trip which is great is a road trip that he's having with his dad but it's also a road trip once again he's having to get to claire so it's almost like you've got two colliding aspects and i'm just not totally sure it goes together as well as cameron crow attends um that being said i'm not totally sure the other way would have been different but i do or would have been better but i i, I think it's an interesting question to ask because uh you know just on i don't know the, to, to me there's that and i also have this kind of thing in the back of my head where Cameron Crowe walks in, you know, uh, with this script, and, and you know, he's got the script on, you know, and they're like, ah, add a love story to it. You gotta you gotta do something. This is, you know, 2005, Garden State just came out last year. We gotta do something, guys. You know, gotta add that love story. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that, that, I, I just wonder. Well, I, I think we're also, like, ignoring, the, not necessarily ignoring it, but, like, you got to talk about the fact that beginning of the movie, before he even finds out his dad passed, he was about to kill himself. So I feel like that's also, it's a little different from grief. You know, it's, you know, he's dealing with, you know, a, a deep depression, failure, all that. So I feel like the road trip with his dad and, you know, the fact that he was finding something to live again mm-hmm. through getting through grief I feel like that I feel like it connected all of that together in my opinion mm-hmm. so I feel like it flowed really well because again he did have something to look forward to again and why he didn't want to get on that fight do they did they mention or did you ever find it did the original script have him contemplating suicide as well I don't know that, that, but all I know is like I'm, I'm taking this direct from IMDb but they do mention like the road trip happens at the end but it's mm-hmm. I mean it's Ben and Claire or mm-hmm. Jimmy Drew and Claire uh, as the as opposed you know as opposed to Claire's the end point mm-hmm. so okay. I don't know I, I, I just I, I think from my yeah. perspective that kind of makes a little more sense yeah yeah. Because, you know, I don't know, it's, uh, it's a yeah, exactly, yeah. because if you're, you know, you're depressed, and then you also lose a loved one, like, I mean, and, then, you know, he chases Claire out of the hotel and tells her, look, I've got, you know, a dark date with destiny. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, I don't know. That's just, that's just my view on it. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think you're wrong. I just, I think um, the, I, I just, I, I think that's interesting, though. Because like there's there's a that 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 is an interesting alternate reality movie to me. It would have um, been, yeah, for know, sure. I, I think I, I just think that's interesting, but uh, but I, I don't I don't want to come off like I have an issue with the romance. In the no, film. I didn't I think you did. But I, but I do think that's that's different. I, I think this is good. You know, we're talking about Drew. Let's transition to Drew. So Drew uh, Drew Baylor. Uh, I'm gonna put my cards on the table, and I'll tell you right now. Uh, the biggest difference in 2005, Josh, and 2020, Josh, is Drew Baylor gets on my freaking nerves in this movie now. I am, and because 2005, Josh, uh, is is okay with sad rich white boy. 2020, not so much, uh, and uh, and so I think there's some there's some problems uh, with this, and, and 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 I will readily admit that they're all from where I am in my life right now, and I fully say that uh 
Okay. But in 2004, 2005, uh, you have this, this thing happening where all these directors want to do these, these introspective uh, characters. And Drew is, is an interesting um, example of that because uh, he's got, you know, he, it, you know, and, and, and I don't, I don't want to like, you know, speak badly about, you know, he's got suicidal thoughts, but like his like delusions of grandeur, even in his like suicide attempt, which is the most overwrought suicide attempt I've ever seen put to film. Uh, and like, and I just like, and, and, and this, this, this idea of this uh, character uh, just, it's almost like it's on my nerves now, 2020. Um, so, so thoughts, thoughts on Drew Baylor. Uh, by the way, we, we, if, if we're going to talk about Drew Baylor, Orlando Bloom, wh- where are you, Orlando Bloom? Wh- what happened to your career? He just career? had a baby. I know he just had a baby with Katy Perry, and I'm really happy for him, but man, Orlando Bloom. He's in at, Carnival Row, apparently. It, Orlando Bloom at this point in 2005 would probably be one of the five most well-known actors. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, th- this guy went, this guy went to three, <laughs> went to, oh, look, a doggy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, hey, hey, Miss, hey, Miss Alyssa. <laughs> the, the, the context of this, like I said, we might never need to do the camera ever again um, because it is distracting. Yeah. Uh, particularly, like, how can I not react to the doggy when I'm talking about sad, rich, white boys? Uh, like, how can I not do that? Um, you know, like, I mean, how, how, how was I supposed to not react to that? That's true. But, uh, but, but anyway... Uh, but no, Orlando Bloom at this point, I mean, you know, you're, you've got three Lord of the Rings movies, you've got uh, obviously Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. and you got this. I mean, he's as big as anybody right now. So I don't know. I, I miss you, Orlando Bloom. You know, come back. You know, dude. Somebody, somebody give Orlando Bloom a, a really good, uh, you know, a really good uh, movie. Uh, Al, your take on Drew Baylor. Am I totally off? What, 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 what am I doing here? Um. I don't think you're totally off as far as like you know um, the s- surface elements of his character of being you know very young, very s- successful, um, if things like that. Um, you know, it does get kind of annoying to see him. You know, it gets annoying at times to see him be so d- desperate. Um, in light of a lot of the positive things he finds. I mean, he finds a totally surprise um, s- support group in Elizabeth Town <laughs> in his extended family. Um, he um, his mom and Al, we're losing you. Hang on. Anything different? How about I turn off mine? Is yeah. That okay? Yeah, that, that might help out just a little bit. We didn't hear any of that. Yeah, we, we, we didn't hear any of that. After you, after, I, I, I do apologize, guys. Uh, after you said support group um, in Elizabeth. Okay, Town, gotcha. Family, we did not hear any of that after that. Okay, gotcha. Um, and am I coming through okay now? Okay, great. Sounds good now. Um, but but um, no, like I understand how it can be annoying to see 
those elements of his character uh, to where he's uh, given his age. Um, he's very, he's very s- s- successful. He has a lot of um, advantage of privilege and things like that. Um, I think Drew is a really, once you get past those things, I think Drew is a really interestingly written character. Um, and that is because Drew is is one of the few characters, and I'm not going to say he's the only character, even the first character, to be written this way. But Drew is one of the few characters who, when I watch a movie or I watch a show or whatever, um, when it comes to me trying to understand a character, I go to, as a psychologist, of course, I go to what is their motivation for what they do and what is their driving force uh, behind both their behavior as well as their thoughts. Um, And when I look at Drew, and I think this comes out very early um, in the film, Drew is very much a character who's driven by expectations around him, right? He's very much driven by what society and what the people in his life expect out of him. You see this when he blows the the design um, opportunity he had at his company when everybody was expecting him to do uh, great things as like this young genius in the industry now. Uh, and we see this when um, Jessica Beale breaks up with him um, over his failure and like the things that she was expecting out of him as as a significant other you see this in you know he's about dude is about to kill himself and he gets a call from his family and he answers and finds out that you know his his father died he has to go and make arrangements and things like that all the way back in elizabeth town and Whereas for most people, if they were already feeling severely depressed and severely suicidal, they would take another significant loss like that as even more fuel to act on their suicidal tendencies right then and there. Um, Drew, again, is driven by people's expectations of him. And so he has this idea in his mind, my family is expecting me to go and make these arrangements and take care of things in Elizabethtown because of my father's death. I have to put off these very dark plans I have for myself and go and take care of that because he's a person driven by his expectations. To the point that, and Josh, you talked about you know, his intended suicide attempt being this very uh, complicated very verbose kind of uh, um, arrangement he does. To me, what I saw um, when I rewatched this and I saw that scene where he's about to kill himself and he hooks up, you know, the knife onto the, onto the um, escalator or whatever. It isn't an escalator, but like the stepmaster or whatever. Um, that struck me as in his final deed, this is his way to really reach for some kind of agency in his life. He chose this really elaborate way to end his own life that reflects, one, it reflects a very 
who would have a creative design. You know, usually with suicide attempts, suicide attempts are very s- simple. This is a very elaborate way to really kind of almost as like a subconscious way to show, hey, I really am am creative and good at designing things. Look at this intuitive way I, th- I thought of to kill myself. And also it's something that requires, very directly requires his participation in the act, right? That a machine he jerry-rigs does not accomplish its intended purpose unless he unless he is an active participator and an active driving force of what is happening to him. And I think that just shows that Drew throughout the movie up until the end is very much a character who is driven by expectation and by people's expectation and someone who is really striving to find some kind of agency and control in his life. And I think that is even more uh, reinforced with, you know, the road trip he takes, the decision he makes on on whether or not to go meet Claire and things like that. He's just a very, very interest, uh, a very interesting character to me. Uh, yeah, I, I can see all that. Uh, Al, let me ask you a question. Uh, or I, actually, let me let me tell you. Let me let me tell you start though with with Drew, and I'm going to move on to Jenny because I know she's uh, quietly seething over there. But like, uh, <laughs> but, but, but let, me, let me tell you where I start with Drew on this one. Okay, I, I I agree with everything you're saying. Okay, but and 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 this this comes out in a lot of ways. I think with camera crime movies is that other than I think. Uh, uh, John Cusack's character and say anything. There's a there's a point where you're supposed to hate the male lead in these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Gary McGuire, that's definitely true. Uh, 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 almost famous, that's true of both Russell Hammond and Jeff Beebe in that. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, I think even in Vanilla Sky, that's absolutely true of Tom Cruise's character in that. Uh, and I think that's true here. Okay. Here's, but here's here's what I'm talking about, though. So, yes, he wants agency, okay? Well, let me tell you some type of agency he has that I don't have, okay? He has walked out of a job that, by his own admission, he got scholarships for, which means he doesn't have thousands and thousands of dollars of student loan debt like I'm assuming a few of us here have, okay? And, like, when you look at that 2005, it doesn't, it's not as bad. In 2005, we were all real happy, and, you know, we thought George W. Bush was the worst president ever going to ever have. In 2020, it's a whole different concept, you know, when you're dealing with a guy who's like, oh, I failed, and I'm walking into my giant apartment, you know, with all of my nice Ikea stuff, you know, and, like, and I'm really sad about it, so I'm going to go out and blaze of glory. And at that point, then I start going back to, like, Fight Club and, like, their opinions of everything. And that's not a good place for me to be at all. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think you've done a extremely good uh, – and also, you know, this is, this is to, to, to brag on, on Al a little bit. This is the type of, of, uh, of uh, experience you can get only with the Phantom Correspondence. Only from the Phantom Correspondence are you going to get a – a psychological rundown of Drew Baylor as a character in Elizabethtown. Uh, you're not going to get that anywhere else. We love to see it. Yeah, exactly. We love to see it. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, but but I'm just you know it, I just think you know him. He's not as bad as Zach Braff in Garden State because nothing's as bad as Zach Braff in Garden State. Um, but like but it's it's there. It, it's the same kind of concept, and I do think you don't see that type of character as much. Um, I do feel a lot different about him at the end of the movie than I do at the beginning. And so I do think that is definitely uh, 
that definitely uh, uh, meant to be. I, I don't think you're supposed to uh, like him at the beginning, um, but um, but I don't know. Uh, I, I could be wrong on that. Jenny, Drew Baylor's character arc. What do you think? Um, well, I do. I I agree with you to an extent about you know the poor rich white boy, and um, I loved Al's take. Um, but I also think that it's subtle. It's very subtle. But throughout the movie, you have this like people <clears throat> kind of mentioning the fact that you know Drew missed like the last you know a few years of his dad's life because of how wrapped up he got into corporate America, basically. So to me, like, like he's almost like a failed, like, quote-unquote American dream, uh, you know, uh, example of a failed American dream. And I feel like that that is a genuinely sad thing. Because, like, um, when he, when him and his mom and his sister are at the airport, you know, his mom says, um, you know, we're just getting started and now it's over. And there's like this pause. And I'm not, cr- I'm not about to cry, by the way. My voice is uh, going out, just so everybody knows. <laughs> but, uh, um, and like that, you know, you just kind of reflect on it. And then like, there's this moment where he calls his sister and he's like, was dad a fun guy? And she's like, yeah, especially the years like after, you know, you got really like busy and stuff. And like when he's on the road trip, he says, you know, we could have taken this road trip years ago. So like, I feel like, I- um, he is a very sad character because he was conditioned to want to be, you know, this success and like, you know, chase the American dream. And like, he literally like, it cost him a lot, like where money wasn't even like, you know, like money obviously wasn't the thing he actually wanted. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know if I'm making sense. It no, makes sense making in my head. Sense. No, I feel bad for taking it. <laughs> so like I don't know I feel like that so I I do actually feel bad for Drew um so and I still do like after even like watching it years later so that's that's my take on Drew yeah uh, so yeah Jay so, so here's the deal we've had a psychological rundown of, of Drew Barrow's of that now Jenny's telling us about how it's about the failure of the American dream <laughs> what would you like to talk about with Drew Baylor you know it's it, it's it's actually more so annoying to follow Jenny at this point because uh, she took more of what I was going to say than, see, because I knew that Al was going to go psychological and I was like, he's got that covered, you know? Um, so, so yeah, but, but I am just going to piggyback a little bit off of what Jenny said. Um, you know, because that's, that was kind of something that I definitely noticed in the last viewing um, is the complete turnaround that he has. Um, um, and also, I think it's hard for me to think of this movie without thinking of the of what we're getting to, what we're getting to. Um, you know, the the idea of you know seeing a movie, seeing a story told for the first time, um, and not knowing where where the ending is. But since the ending is so so heavy in, in my mind, whenever I'm watching this, it's. It's kind of like, okay, well, you know, yeah, this, this part is kind of annoying, or he's kind of whining at this point, but he's going to get better. Um, you know, but, but Jenny, Jenny hit the nail on the head for me, um, you know, when, when, she was talking, when she was talking about that he, this, is, this is a guy who literally just gave up everything for something that failed, you know. 
So he so he effectively lost this uh, this identity within his family, but then he lost his identity within himself. So he literally is a blank slate whenever he goes back to Elizabethtown. Um, you know, and I think they do a really really good job of framing that in a in some subtle ways because um, I really I really liked <laughs> you know after the shoe fails he walks into he walks into you know the office building and everyone keeps kind of giving him these weird looks and you know some guys are smiling you know because they're like oh this is the guy that screwed everything up and he keeps saying I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine and then you have the complete contrast with with it later um where they frame this it's a really interesting montage right before and right when you're, you're first introduced to paula dean and her character um where they're where they're going to her house and there's this big like this big kind of like potluck basically like like you know, kind of welcoming him home um and also it's not necessarily a memorial service but for anyone who is from you know the south and knows that's kind of like the opening of a, of a memorial service for their for funerals uh in my yeah um you know and so they do this really really interesting montage where drew literally does not understand what is happening around him Meanwhile, so many people are t- are saying, you know, I love your family, I love your dad, I love you. If you need anything, let us know. And they keep like like the American Legion starts giving them things. Um, you know, um, a bunch of people are, are offering food. You know, and 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 uh, live and you know living situations and everything while he's down there. There's there's so much that's being given to him that I I, I think I think they. Do really well with the stark contrast that he has. He has nothing at the at the beginning of this. Yes, he has you know a nice apartment. He has you know his nice you know all the money and everything. But at the same time, from an emotional standpoint, he has nothing. He's bankrupt where connections are concerned. Yeah, um, I, I you could honestly. He's not as bad, but you could definitely make a connection between this and 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 arguably one of my favorite, probably my favorite story of all time, in A Christmas Carol, to where he is basically screwed at, at this point because he literally has no emotions towards a lot of these things until he is brought back to the identity of his family, um, which, which is what Al said. And I actually really like, Al, I really like the idea that the expectations were, are, are what's motivating him and moving him along. That, that, that's a really good way of looking at it. Is a, this is a real deep dive uh, into Drew Baylor. Uh, we've, we, we've we've done real well on him, and uh, I think uh, uh, you, you bring up that montage. I think this is a uh, actually no, I don't want to do that yet. Actually, I want to talk about. Um, I, I do want to make a shift slightly uh, uh, before I talk about what I think is the real star of this movie. Uh, but I do want to talk about Susan Sarandon a bit uh, because Susan Sarandon is uh, she's got a really a small part in this movie, but it's like central to the yeah. movie. Definitely. To the point of the movie, in a lot of ways, I think it's interesting because there's a. <laughs> so Cameron Crowe is very much a actor's director, and I mean that in the sense that there's a lot of times where, by his own admission, he will just be like, "Do what you think is right." But mostly is when you know Tom Cruise is 
uh, you completely speak, you know, which was, you know, which was Tom Cruise's, you know, taking taking whatever was written and just going with it, you know, and like he said, I don't know it, you know, he said, I don't know if it's going to work. Uh, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman in uh, Almost Famous uh, as Lester Baines is very similar. And so I think Susan Sarandon's final scene, uh, you know, where she is, uh, you know, giving the speech about, you know, how no one actually cares that, you know, the people actually care in Elizabethtown. Um, I think that's important. And I think I, I just kind of wonder if uh, if Cameron Crowe had, you know, just said to her, I, you know, I don't know, Susan, just do what you got to do. Because this point, Susan Sarandon you know, been acting for 35 years. Uh, so, uh, so we all think uh, Susan Sarandon's character, he's kind of, he's on the, you know, she's in the, you know, she's one of the top billed uh, uh, actors in this uh, movie. So we all think of Susan Sarandon in this movie. Uh, Jake, we'll start with you. Um, she is definitely a highlight in this movie. There, there's no way around it. Um, you, you said you know she has a a very crucial role, but it is a small one. Um, she, she, she does offer some levity in in multiple parts because she is very funny, but at the same time, it's also Having been in similar situations like that, it's kind of sad because you start realizing that a lot of times she's compensating. Um, you know, Jenny, Jenny brought the airport scene um, where where she just stops and just says, we thought that things were just getting started. You know, if you don't understand that scene yet, I hope that you have a, quite a few more years before you do. Um, because there is a moment when you lose someone that is crucial to your way of life. There is that moment where you say, I literally don't know what, how I'm going to do this. You know, how I'm going to continue on. I don't know what to, because you start thinking about, you know, oh, you make plans, but then that person's not going to be there. Um, oh, we're going to do this eventually, but that person's not going to be a part of it, you know. And you, you start thinking about the fact that your entire life has changed. Um, and then that's when you've got a couple different options couple, and everyone, of course, the, the old adage of, oh, well, everyone grieves differently. Yeah, that's true. Um, but Sarandon and, and her, her, her character, both her character and her as an actress really pulled this off really well where she starts throwing herself into as many hobbies as she possibly can. Um, but in doing it, it's because, once again, the same way that Drew does, she wants to find new life. Um, you know, she, she, even sa- she even says that when she says, you know, there's a point where she says, you know, I wanted to be fun, you know, or I wanted to be funny. Why, why, why can't it be more funny when Mitch was alive? Um, you know, and she does her, she, what is it? Is it it's about, it's about a, Eight minutes is like I saw like eight minutes of her just basically talking, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah, something like that. You know, like that's that's definitely a highlight of the movie, and it, and it's all it's also kind of, kind of like you said, it's kind of one of those things where you know you could tell that they were kind of like setting up for it, and then it was like Susan, do your thing. Like you've had like three three separate, you know, you you've had to do certain things, but this is this is your moment to shine, basically. You know, I I personally love her character, and I think I think she has a. She delivers a phenomenal performance in this movie. Jenny, what do you think of her? 
Yeah, no, she's great. Um, I feel like uh, both. Well, I feel like Drew, Heather, and uh, Susan Sarandon's characters. I can't remember her. Holly, I think maybe. I don't know. But I feel like they all display uh, different stages of grief. Um, like you know, Drew is almost like at the numb part, of course. Mm-hmm. And then Holly, the sister, is uh, or not the Heather, the sister. Um, is like fully embracing it. And then like um, Holly, Susan Sarandon's character um, is at the point where she's just like, she's still like just throwing herself into everything. And uh, I mean, I've been, I've been all three, so I get it. And so it was just, uh, it was really interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, and a lot of people don't actually recognize, I feel, I could be wrong. I could be speaking out of uh I'll turn here, but I feel like a lot of people don't notice uh, Susan Sarandon's form of grief that much because, like, when if you're looking if outside looking in, you you don't realize that that's grief. You just think they're fine. They're just like you know. Oh, it's good they're doing. Things. Yeah, they're doing things <laughs> like they're like living and like they're they're gonna be great. But it is uh, it's not necessarily that um, happy. So I don't know. Um, I thought it was really. I thought, yeah, she's great. She's fantastic. Yeah, and it's 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 a coping mechanism that we don't really see. In yeah, well, much. people don't recognize it as a coping. Yeah. That's what I meant. Like, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Al, what do you think of Susan Sarandon in this movie? Um, I think she's great. Um, God will strike me dead before I say anything bad about Susan Sarandon in any context. <laughs> I mean, That's I, fair, yeah. I love That's Susan fair. Sarandon. Um. But yeah, she um, she actually everything you guys have said um, has been great as far as kind of exploring her character and her her ways that she grieves and things like that. Um, I love her character. Uh, the main reason I love her character is because she introduces my favorite line from the film, which is when they're all together in um, the airport uh, towards the start of the movie. Um, she has the introduction of. Um, and I'm sure I'm paraphrasing this somewhat, but she has the the introduction of, um, okay, everybody, just remember what Dad said, <laughs> what Dad always said, and in unison they all say, if it wasn't this, it'd be something else. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, really, I love that line. Again, I think it's the best line, the best quote um, from the film. Um because I think it does a lot of, I think it does a lot of things. It kind of shows, kind of shows like where their headspace is as as a family. Because I think in a lot of ways it shows how resilient some people in their family can be. Um, I think it also shows just kind of. Um, a lot of the overall themes in on the movie in general kind of adhere to the logic in that line because it shows how, how you know Drew's family tries to take this very tragic loss. Uh, they try to take it in stride. They, you know, they use um, uh, their various coping skills and things like this. Uh, uh, when you get to Drew himself, uh, that line. T- t- takes kind of um, a darker turn. It kind of refers to 
how he was interrupted in his own suicide and kind of the hopelessness he feels. Um, And it also touches, I believe, towards the end on a more positive note as well as kind of introducing, you know, alternate options and alternate paths and possibilities for the characters and stuff. So I think, yeah, I think it's a great line. I think it's very apt that Susan Sarandon's character is the one to kind of introduce that line and lead the other characters into it. Um, Just because she is such, you know, her character doesn't have a lot of screen time, but what she does have, she does such a good job of showing, you know, what that mindset can be at different stages of grief and at different times of your life. And, and yeah, I think it's just, I don't know. It really speaks to her as an actor to show that she was able to do so much with not a whole lot of screen time. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a, um, you know, and I think, I think she was perfect for the role. Uh, Cause like I said, even though that character isn't going to have that much screen time, um, you know, just by design of the film, uh, you know, I think she's perfect for, for what she does on it because you need somebody uh, to bring uh, gravitas to that, to that role. And uh, she definitely does that. She definitely does that. All right. I want to talk about the, uh, the real, in my opinion, the real star of the movie, which is uh, apparently Kentucky. Uh, you know, uh, Kentucky's a, uh, a central aspect to this, uh, particularly Elizabeth town. Um, Elizabeth town's a nice, nice town. Uh, you know, they filmed some of it there. Did find out they filmed a lot in uh, Versailles or Versailles, depending on how you want to announce that, uh, which is, you know, uh, you know, central, uh, central Kentucky, uh, you know, what, what, what stood out, uh, you know, like, I mean, we're, we're all four from Kentucky, uh, you know, and so I think a lot of this movie, uh, this movie probably gains like an extra point in all of our minds simply because they nail a lot of the stuff. Uh, so I will start with you. What what stands out in this movie as far as like as a Kentuckian? <laughs> as a Kentuckian, um, yeah, um, I think definitely a lot of the characters, um, in Drew's extended family, um, in some capacity or another, are definitely um, very representative of a lot of people um, I've met um, during my time in Kentucky. Um, for sure, for sure. Um, especially after, um, especially after I moved uh, from Owensboro into um, Fayette County, uh, um, it was exposed to a lot more people from Central Kentucky and Eastern Kentucky, um, especially. Um, yeah, I can t- definitely see that. Um, um, yeah, I did kind of love the fact. Um, I watched this. Um, uh, this last time I watched this with uh, my fiance and Alyssa was watching it and towards the beginning of the movie where he gets lost uh, driving to Elizabethtown, um, Alyssa, who is not from Kentucky, sh- she's from up in New England, um, she had the reaction as we were watching it of, oh, wow, I know that road. I've gotten lost there before. And I, was just, I was just like, really? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was definitely a cool little thing to see from somebody who's not 
you know, who doesn't have their roots in Kentucky identify with um, something that the character experienced as um, he moved back into the place. But yeah. Yeah, 60B is a, is a big deal. Uh, you know, driving in Kentucky is different than driving any other place in America, in my opinion. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a whole different ball of wax because uh, well, that's one of the things that catches. You, if you miss, you miss one turn, man. <laughs> you're, my, favorite, my favorite part of that entire thing is when he sees himself, when he sees a sign, welcome to Indiana. Because that's the thing about driving in Kentucky. You miss one turn, and all of a sudden you're in a, a state that you did not intend to be in. <laughs> uh, so I, I love that part. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, what else? Jake, what else we got? Um, for me, you know, it is, it is a very odd scene. It's kind of, kind of out of place. Um, kind of morose, but it is a very important one, um, and and it, and it fall it it kind of flows really well. Um, you know, there if, if you've forgotten, there's a big point of contention throughout the middle part of the movie of if his father is going to be buried in Elizabethtown or if he's going to be cremated. And there is there's a scene in order where. They're discussing, they're discussing kind of like the final decisions on, on his father's arrangements, at like a uh, at like the dinner table. Then it switches to him helping his or Drew, excuse me, Drew helping his cousin um, with his son, which once again seems really out of place. Which rewatching this seems really out of place at first until you get to the next scene. Because the very next thing after that is his uncle thanking him for, you know, taking an interest in the family and trying to help out. And then there's a scene where they're sitting in the kitchen. And, 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 and once again, another, another, another thing that they nail just from whether it's, you know, the fact that it's, that it's based in Kentucky or the fact that it's, based around this idea of deal, of coping and dealing with grief. But they're standing around the kitchen, and, you know, they're just hanging out, drink, drinking ale-ates, you know, and one, one of them stops and, and says, you know, it's like, it's like I can almost see Mitch here, you know. And Drew, at this point, you know, he stops, and he really starts to think. And then... He he runs and he tries to he tries to get to uh, the oh goodness crematorium crematorium yes thank you um, before and before the, before they do everything and unfortunately he gets there too, too late as far as already cremated but I think it says a lot that from getting to Elizabethtown. And I think I think within the movie, this is roughly like the second second day day that he's there. Um, and then with and within roughly, let's say an eight to ten hour span, he is already changing his mind about something. You know, I think I think that says that that says a lot about his character um, and about how Elizabeth Town and and how and how the idea of Kentucky and the idea of getting back to your roots kind of affected him. Um, you know, and I, I, I don't know. There's, 
there's something about this movie that made me almost maybe reevaluate re my thoughts on Kentucky as a whole because I, you know, for, the, for those of you who don't know me, of course, you know, and I, I feel like a lot of people have this, you know, you you grow up and then you your immediate thought is, Lord, I can't wait to get away from my hometown, you know, and, and your thought is, I cannot wait to go somewhere else, um, you know, and I don't disagree if anyone ever wants to do that, um, but, you know, understanding understanding the difference between a desire to see other things and a desire to try to remove yourself from something is two entirely different things. Um, and I think that's, I think that's another important aspect of this movie. Um, and the fact that Drew really did need to get back to his roots to understand what, what was important about life. Um, which, and of course we already talked about with what we we're talking about Drew as a character, but I think that if those two work so well in tandem to where, you know, the Elizabeth town is really its own character. It's not just, you know, Aunt Dora or cousin Jesse or uncle Dale or anything. It's all of them are one encompassing thing that is really kind of keeping him grounded and kind of getting him where he needs to be. Um, so, yeah. I think, uh, I think for me, the, the Kentucky, Kentucky character I like the most in this because I often wonder if this is a Kentucky phenomenon. This exact type of character is Bill Banyan. Um, <laughs> because I don't know what, I, I, I don't know. And Al, maybe you can ask Alyssa this, you know, I don't, I don't have any really non-Kentucky connections to ask other than her. Uh, but in Kentucky, for whatever reason, there's this part where there's this part where uh, Drew calls, calls his mom and, and mentions Bill Banyan's there, and then she says, you know, Bill Banyan almost tore this family. I mean, she is serious. Like, something happened that almost tore this family apart. He almost did it, okay? All right? And, like, it's a known thing. Yeah. Like, like, Dora even says, Bill's, Bill Banyan's not coming, is yeah, he? okay. You know, like, like, it's a known thing that, like, he, he did this or whatever, all right? All right? And yet... He's always there. And like within our family, within both sides of our family, okay? <laughs> within both sides of our family, there are people, like I'm not, I don't want to get into it, but there are like horrible, horrible things and like controversies and like things that like, I feel like everyone outside of Kentucky would be like, no, I don't want to deal with that anymore. And yet, but our family just pretends it doesn't happen. And and then and then like my favorite part of this though is when Bill Banyan's giving his speech. Once again, if you're not from Kentucky, you don't understand this. But his exact wording is, "I apologize per se for my role in those dealings per se." And <laughs> like if you've never if you've never been in Kentucky and tried to hear somebody talk with more intelligence than they actually have, that's the moment. That's what it is. I mean, you might be hearing well, that right now. Yeah. yeah, but like, but, uh, but, 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 yeah, you're, you're fine. But like, but no, that's, that is a Kentucky thing. Okay. When they try, when they sit, they're like, I have to really mold my words correctly. And so they start using things they don't understand that per se, which has no bearing at all in those sentences. It's, it's beautiful. And so I love that character because I think, I wonder how how often that happens in other states because, you know, it, it was something I related to. You know, like I mean, I feel like all three of us 
uh, all three of the hardesties here relate to it because they just look, I mean, it's like, oh, okay, there's that guy again or there's that person again or whatever. And so, I mean, it, it, it's relatable. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that, that's that's one, that's, that's a Kentucky aspect I love. Jenny, I'll let you close out of Kentucky. What do you think? Um, I mean, yeah, there were a lot of aspects that I both hated and loved about <laughs> uh, how they portrayed Kentucky. Um, one of the things that, and this might not be, you know, just a Kentuckian thing, but, like, you know, when Drew gets into town and everybody's waving, like, everybody already knows that he's there. Like, he made a phone call on the highway, and then by the time he, like, crosses the town limits or city limits, whatever, uh, everybody's got signs made, and they're, like, waving, and, like, he's, like, the <coughs> big event. And uh, I, I just think that's a very, like, small-town Kentucky thing that would happen. Um, uh, the whole Chuck and Cindy thing um, mm-hmm. is a very, to me, again, it, it might not be, but it's a very Kentucky thing to my experience. Uh, just the way they, you know, uh, everything about it. I, I can't even pinpoint <laughs> one thing. I'm, I'm both surprised and, and a little upset that we, that we have gone an hour and 17 minutes without actually mentioning Chuck and Cindy yet. Um, so I'm thank you for bringing them up. Well, I mean, you know, they don't add or take. Well, you are, but here can have a beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, I love you, Claire, just from being on the phone with her. Like, such a Kentucky thing to me. Um, and then of course there was, I mean, the personal thing, but how the family is in there, like, it got on my nerves. But uh, I feel like that's also Kentucky. Um, what do you mean I, how the family is in there? Like, just, I don't know. Like, they wanted to have more say over uh, his father's um, yeah. funeral arrangements than the family. Like, they didn't care. You know like, what I heard like, about California? That 80% of their burials are cremation. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, attributing yeah, facts uh, to random things that aren't factual. <laughs> like, it's just, they, that happens this a lot. This is West Point Ring. I don't know how they feel about them in California, but here we think that means a lot. Yeah, and like the fact that they can just keep saying that they're from California, even though they're not from mm-hmm. California, um, it to again something I have experienced a lot where you know they just attribute random facts. I don't know. I hate it a lot. Uh, <laughs> my my <laughs> my favorite part about that one though is like when they when when like. Uh, it's, it's the funeral director, isn't it? Is yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, when the funeral director will say, you know, you guys moved out to California, and then uh, Drew will correct him and say, we only lived in California for like a year and a half, then we, we actually are, are from Oregon. And then he always just goes, uh-huh. And yeah, then like he just he doesn't believe it. Moves, He's just like, no. This moves is on. Like, yeah. You know, just, it's, like, yeah. once again, for those of you who are not from Kentucky that are listening, that is a pure, that is absolutely Kentuckian thing. I'm not sure, we're not sure if it's other states, but that is 100% a Kentuckian Also, thing. also, uh, when he goes to see his dad at the funeral home, and the dude's like, did I not capture your dad? I feel like that is Dude. also a Kentuckian thing. <laughs> because yep. I've had somebody tell me that most states do closed caskets. And Kentucky's obsessed with open caskets, mm-hmm. and I hate it. Go, go um, ahead and cry. Right, right. <laughs> they, they love mourning in a lot of ways. But anyway, uh, that might also be my own personal experience with I, uh, my particular yeah, family. <laughs> I, won't, I won't get too much into it, but everything about the funeral 
in Kentucky was hilarious because when we would talk about our, our mother passing, and I don't even know if you know this or not, but like we had uh, several people ask us why the casket wasn't open, like at the funeral. Mm -hmm. Yes, yep. like <laughs> basically wanting us to just pop that yeah. sucker a bit yeah. like and that. We had, and then, of course, my favorite works <sighs> is that uh, our, our lovely sister Raven, Jenny, got hit on at the funeral. Uh, that was beautiful. Uh, and I mean, so these things are like, love them or hate them, love them or hate them, uh, were extremely realistic uh, capturings of life in Kentucky. Uh, but I do think I do think Kentucky comes out being um, uh, as a net positive in this movie. Whether it's an actual net positive or not, I don't know. But in this movie, it does, if for no other reason than the whole point, uh, you know, of Kentucky. For whatever reason, however they do things, however they agree, whatever, the idea that they cared, and uh, and even and, and the idea that like you know, uh, Mitch would go back and still hang out with Bill Banyan, you know, even though you know the apparently almost wrecked had, the had a deal that almost wrecked yeah, the family. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that kind of aspect of Kentucky is very well captured. Um, all right. Uh, we're getting close to the end here, but I do want, what what kind of, were there any problems that you had with the movie? Uh, Jenny, we'll start with you. Um, honestly, no. I didn't no. have... Yeah, it's one of your favorites. Yeah. yeah, it's one of my favorites, so, you know, it's hard for me to... I mean, I really... They, I can't even think of anything that really annoys me about it. I guess the kid that screams a lot gets on my nerves. Yeah, yeah. but, but once again... I know, I know, hey, it's a Kentucky okay. thing. That is a 100% Kentucky thing. It's a Kentucky yeah. thing. Yeah, so, it is. like, it is what it is, but that's probably my least favorite thing about the movie. Yeah. Uh, but even that, I mean, you know... It's fine. I think my favorite part about that is like, like, because because you are that's that would probably be my only thing too is, is that kid's annoying, but but like you said, that's that's just what we live with half the time. Um, but like my favorite, there's this scene where that kid gets in the car, gets in a car, and like starts like backing it up, <laughs> yeah. and when his father gets out, uh, or. Gets it gets out to it gets outside to see. His first reaction is not is my kid okay. He goes, was he driving that thing? And once he, once again, purely <laughs> Kentuckian. Yeah. Okay? Like, clearly obviously. Um, like, was he then, driving that then, thing? And then everybody's like, who taught you to drive? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, the, the next, the next, literally the next scene is who taught you to drive like that? Like, like that's the next scene. Um, it's just. Yeah, um, I'm I'm sorry. I don't mean to go ahead and just take my turn, but that's the, the thing back enough what Kenny said. That's pretty much the only that kid was the only flaw I had in the movie. Uh, everything else is wonderful. Al, you you got any flaws in the movie? Um, I do not this time around. Now, um, well, the last time I watched it before this, um, I had. And like I think it's one of those things where like you don't watch something for a while and your mind kind of recalls it differently and things like that. And I think it was colored by um, other criticisms that I had heard from other people about it. Because one of the criticisms I said at the beginning that I had heard was Claire um, just kind of swoops in and fixes everything um, about Drew's life and like, you know... Uh, a depression and suicidality and things like that aren't that simple. 
And after having rewatched it, I think it does a very good and very clear job of showing that, no, it isn't that simple. It's not a matter of Claire just coming in and fixing everything in Drew's life. It's a matter of her being able to facilitate a very cathartic experience that he has. And that's why I I think the road trip he goes on um, is is one of the most important scenes in the entire film because it kind of shows that um, he's processing things and he's having uh, that kind of cathartic experience and that's where the healing comes from. And yeah, Claire plays an important part of that, but it's not, you know, I don't think in any way, shape or form Elizabeth Town is trying to say, if you're depressed and you have issues, find somebody to fall in love with and everything. Thing will be fine and i feel like that's a criticism i've heard a lot of people say about the movie and like i don't think the movie is saying that at all i think it's saying that sometimes you need help from other people to begin healing and to be- begin to have uh, that kind of cathartic experience but you know as somebody who's worked in mental health for years i don't think there is if you're paying attention to the movie i don't think there's any kind of t- toxic or or negative um thing is trying to teach i think it handles its themes very responsibly and very well yeah i'd actually say uh, i don't um i'm my somewhat distaste for for drew baylor as a person at the beginning <laughs> but like earlier than that that's not even really a flaw of the movie uh, but, like, uh, I don't think there's any, I, I don't have a, really a whole lot bad to say about the movie either. Um, the movie right now, just so you know, sits a 28 on Rotten Tomatoes, which is hilarious to me. That's so weird. I think there's a lot, there's, there's, it, I would say it's better than 80% of the movies as opposed to the opposite that come out. Um, but uh, one thing I will say to piggyback on you, Al, is like you talked about that there's not really that toxic of a message or anything. And, like, one of the things is, like, I, I'm not saying the movie doesn't have a message, um, but the movie's definitely not trying to make a, a statement about life in the same way that Garden State does, which, once again, is a movie gets compared to a lot. And whereas I think Garden State has, you know, something of a toxic message because it's trying to tell you all this stuff about, you know, uh, you know issues with psychology and issues with uh, taking antidepressants and stuff like that. And, uh, and everything, you know, really the message of, of Elizabeth Town is, is one of, you know, uh, try to find, you know, trying to work your way through grief, you know, in whatever way that is possible. And, um, and I think that message is a lot more palatable and therefore you can have, you can, you can get away with some things, I think, whereas you're not trying to be as uh, direct as some other movies would with this. Um, and so I, I think, I think that's a strength of it, um, you know, and so I, I think it does work very well um, as a, as a, as a, you know, romantic comedy dealing with grief, um, and and so I, I, I really, I, you know, I can't really find too many flaws. I mean, I, I, I will say this every time I watch it, like I do, like here's the thing, in 2005, once again, this one thing that was on the radar and it should have been, but once again, 2020. Knowing what Kentucky is, uh, uh, particularly uh, in its uh, more, shall we say, uh, ethnically and racially divided aspects of Kentucky, the fact that, like in 2005, they, this Elizabeth Town is like this, 
you know, wholesome place to go to, <laughs> you know, and like I, there's just way too much of, you know, of the, of the David and Lincoln in me. It's just like, you know what? Yeah. You know, but you know, uh, you know, that down the street, there's some, there's some racism happening in that town and, uh, and particularly, and so something like that kind of, you know, I, I can't, I, just because of the world we're living in, I can't overlook it. Um, but as far as, you know, I mean, we're, we're trying to give Cameron Crow a little too much, uh, to work with here if we're asking him to deal with that on top of what he's already <laughs> dealing with. Um, so, so no, I don't really have any flaws. Um, I don't really have any, uh, any, any two, two bigger critiques uh, to deal with on, uh, on Elizabeth town, uh, which I think is, I think we'd all agree is a, for whatever reason, a vastly underrated movie. Um, um so, Josh. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, if I can just real quick, um, everybody listening to this, you thought you were going to get through a podcast without him showing up, but it's time oh. for it's time for fact checking boy. I love fact checking boy. Um, I'm so glad he's here. So, so all I wanted to say just real quick, uh, I'm used uh, talking about the score and Rotten Tomatoes kind of piqued my interest a bit. Um, it does have a 28 on Rotten Tomatoes as like the aggregate score, but I would like to point out that the audience score sits at a 66. So significantly. Okay. That's good. Okay, good job, audience. Yeah. Good job. Good job, audience. I'm glad you're doing something other than just, you know, talking crap about Brie Larson again. <laughs> on that. So, so yeah. So, no, that, 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 that is a good thing. So, I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I don't understand why this movie was hit so hard in 2005. I almost, almost wonder if there was a backlash against this type of movie in 2005 that I don't remember that happened. I don't know. You know, like I said, Garden State was one of those movies that was really like uh, pivotal in how people viewed cinema, where we all really liked for like six months, and then we all kind of came to our senses really quickly. And so I kind of wonder if this this kind of uh, caught some of that as well. Um, but I don't understand, you know, hating in this movie. Like, I just don't understand it. It, it doesn't make sense. Um, but thank you, fact-checking boy. Uh, I appreciate you, as always. Always. Um, any, 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 final, any final thoughts on, on this movie? Anything, anything we need to talk about, Jake? Um, final thoughts, just real quick. Um, while watching this, I, re- I really do think that this is Orlando Bloom's best role, uh, which is a lot, which is saying a lot coming from me, uh, as big of a Lord of the Rings fan as I am. Um, obviously, I'm not taking anything away from his performance as Legolas, but, you know, with Legolas, you know, he just he's just Legolas. He's awesome, you know. But with this, he really gets to kind of, you really get to see a lot more of him uh, from a, from a developing standpoint, you know, from uh, I mean, Goff has already pointed out, you know, and and, and the earlier scenes you don't really care for him, uh, you know, and then the later and then as as the movie progresses, you know, you really start rooting for him more, you know, because you want you want him to do better, you know, and uh, and yeah, so you know, that's um, that's definitely a big thing, but but also. Um, you know, I I, I I I truly do think that this is uh, Nancy Wilson's best best work uh, from a, from a film score standpoint. Um, I, uh, no. I I I I no. stand with it. Sorry, um, and I know. You I, I apologize on behalf of fan of correspondence for that one. Uh, <laughs> you 
But anyway, carry on. I don't, I don't know if I want to, yeah. but here we are. Um, you know, um, but I think I think that she she does really well. The I think I think the main title is just called Sixty B, um, and in it it's what's playing right right at the end uh, when he's in the farmers market and he's searching for Claire and everything. I just I, I don't know. There there's there. A lot of it might just be just because I'm a big, you know, I'm a mandolin player, and I just really like that little riff. Um, and it just, I don't know, I just, I, I, I really love the music in this movie. Um, obviously, you know, Almost Famous does a well very, very special place in my heart. Probably my favorite movie of all time, like uh, along with Josh. Um, you know, but for but and and the music in that is great as well. But for, from an original score perspective, perspective, I think I think. I do. Kind of have to give the edge a little bit to this one. All right, Al. Final thoughts, man. Don't say anything as controversial as Jake did. Okay, okay. I'll try not to. Um, but yeah, um, I think um, Elizabeth Town is um, great. Um, again, as somebody um, who spent uh, several years working um, in mental health, I think it's a very fair, very responsible uh, portrayal of um, very real issues as far as. Of depression and healing go and if you are listening to this and you haven't seen elizabeth town before um i just want to say it is currently at the time of this recording free to stream on amazon prime so there you go if you have an amazon prime you should check it out awesome um yeah i will say i think elizabeth town uh holds up pretty well uh like i said i think there's a uh, some things that we probably excuse in 2005 that we don't excuse now. Um, but I do think it's a pretty fantastic movie. Um, I think its score is really good, but it's probably the third best score from Nancy Wilson uh, as opposed <laughs> to the first. Um, you know, um, but that's okay. Uh, you know, people have been wrong before. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's pretty pretty fantastic movie. It's got a lot of scenes that uh, just stand out. Um, you know, we, we didn't really get to talk about a lot of stuff, but I just, uh, I will leave with this. My, one of my favorite scenes, because every single person that's ever been on a date or had an interest in somebody has had this exact moment where they're just staring off of the distance and they might not say it like they say in the movie, but they think to themselves, we peaked on the phone, didn't we? And, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite scenes. I, I, I don't know how he nailed that so perfectly, uh, but he did. And so, yeah, absolutely, it's uh, on Amazon Prime. Definitely check it out. Jenny, this was kind of your movie, so I'll let you have the last word on everything. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I echo all your thoughts. Um, it's uh, it's great. Definitely watch it. Watch it with an open mind um, and try to have to watch it from somebody. Like, try to imagine you're in that situation. Like, don't. If you haven't been through intense grief, you might not completely understand it. I don't know. Um, also, we didn't talk about the map at all, um, which is one of my favorite parts. And if anybody can locate that map or recreate it for me, hit me up. Because <laughs> I really, really want it. Um, I think it's one of the coolest like parts of the movie that um, I don't know. I doesn't talk about. So, yeah. It just, yeah. I, man, and like, it's... It's something that's dated, but just the idea of making mixes on CDs. Yes, yeah. it's beautiful. Like, it's just like, I just, I miss that so much. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. So, yeah, that takes 42 hours. So, yeah, if you can figure that out, send it to Jenny. 
Well, ladies and gents, that is the uh, that is the end of our uh, Phantom Flashback tonight. I want to thank uh, Jake, Al, and Jenny, uh, particularly Jenny, because this was kind of her pick. Uh, we are, like I said, going on a slight hiatus for a bit. Uh, we've got some uh, uh, some life changes happening, uh, so we'll definitely uh, you know uh, be back soon uh, when things kind of slow down. Um, but definitely, uh, stay with us, uh, you know, and also, uh, you know, we are on Patreon, we're on Facebook, uh, I've noticed, uh, somebody is using her name on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes. I guess, we're on Instagram. Oh, oh, we're on Instagram now. Yeah, we've been on Instagram. I did not know we were on Instagram. Uh, okay, sweet. You we're, need to get an Instagram. You don't have one yet. Is, is that something I need to do? Yes, okay. Do. All right. I'm just going to take selfies all day of me and my Joe classified figures yes uh so so yeah but anyway uh so we're on all that uh and so there's a plenty of ways to contact us and we definitely want you to do that tell us what you want to see uh see us talk about uh because if you don't then things like an entire hour on van helsing will probably happen uh and i don't know if that's going to be good for anybody <laughs> or so, not probably it will okay so you know if you don't want to keep that from happening if you don't want a podcast about van helsing going off into the zeitgeist then uh you need to uh to let us know what you would like to uh, uh what you would like to hear us talk about so yes like i said uh stay with us remember phantom is for everyone that's always our motto and you'll have a good evening